0: It is good to be here tonight. I appreciate your attendance and uh, your good attention. Appreciate all the good singing tonight. I love church that that sings, and you guys know how to sing and sing those good songs to the Lord, and I love it. Uh, I do have a message tonight out of the book of Psalm again. If you want to turn there, Psalm 51, be looking at Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 51, when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for reading God's word? Psalm 51, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean." Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this service thus far. God, for the good spirit, the good singing. God, and I'm asking now for your help to be able to preach this message. God, that you'll be lifted up, Lord, you'll be exalted. Keep us hidden and out of the way. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Yesterday, I looked out the kitchen window. Mary said, "Come and look out here." And I looked out the window, and it looked like it was snowing. The leaves were falling off the trees. The wind was hitting it, and now, we've got a bunch of trees behind our house. There's nothing but a big, probably an acre of woods behind us, and uh, we got big old trees, and those leaves were just falling. It was beautiful, uh, but kind of reminds you of snow. Uh, Mary made the comment that uh, those leaves were getting in the flower beds, but the only thing I could think of was those leaves was getting in the gutters on the house. Now, 20 years ago, when I was younger and slimmer and, and a whole lot more spry, it didn't bother me that much to go up on the roof and, clean out the gutters. It wasn't that big of a deal. But now, uh, as I've gotten older and fatter, it's, it's not uh, so fun to climb up a ladder and get on the roof. Uh, but listen, gutters are not just for decorations. They're very important. Uh, they serve a great purpose. And I'm not preaching about the gutters on your house tonight, but I've titled the message, the gutters of sin, the gutters of sin here in our opening text we have one of the most heartfelt prayers that you'll read in all the bible now if your bible's like mine then you most likely have an introduction commentary right at the beginning of this probably uh, that's been included uh, from the king james translators here it says to the chief musician the psalm of david when nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to bathsheba and that is really what this prayer is about this is David's uh, iniquity that he's he's committed the sins he's committed against God and he's praying for forgiveness and restoration is what he's looking for. Uh, we sung that valley or that song in the valley he restoreth my soul. That's what David is looking for, restoration. He wants the joy of his salvation restored to him after these sins. And so if you want to catch up to that, approximately 9 months before this prayer was prayed, Uh, by David, you may remember he would committed the horrible sin there with uh, Bathsheba, his neighbor's wife, and as he spied out on her while everyone else was out on the battlefield, David was leisurely strolling around up on top uh, uh, there and looking out and and, and witnessing this lady next door, and um, he began lusting after her, and he committed sin by committing uh, adultery with her and uh, fornication. And not only did he do those sexual sins, but he also had her husband murdered to cover up his own sins. Uh, this doesn't much sound like a man after god 's own heart when we read those sins he committed, which brings us to our first point tonight. Experts will tell you that you should clean out your gutters at least twice a year uh, every every fall and uh, usually uh, after winter. Um, But the problem is that that gutters are not something really you pay much attention to. It's not like you spend your time wondering and thinking about the gutters on your house. And it's not until after they become a problem that you start noticing them. You may look out and you say, "Uh uh-oh, there's water's running over the gutters. It's not going down the downspout and where it's supposed to go. It's going to go down and get in our foundation and ruin things. Uh, Our house uh, back a year ago... Uh, During a storm, one of the gutters tore loose of the house and was kind of about this far away from where it should be. And so water would come down and get between the gutter and the eave, and it would run back under the eave of the house, and it started rotting out uh, that soffit board that was back there behind it. And uh, it was on the high end of the house, and I don't like heights, and I didn't want to climb up there, and so... I just waited around and let the problem keep festering until finally I look up one day and the gutters about two feet from the house, and uh, all that wood up there is rotting out, and so we had to call an expert to come in and take care of it. <coughs> but gutters, if you let them go, uh, they'll start to mold, mildew set up. Uh, the gutters will fill up and leaves. Collect in there and in the wintertime, they'll even freeze and bust and it'll cause you all kinds of problems. It could cause you hundreds to thousands of dollars. Fortunately, ours wasn't that bad. It didn't cost us all that much to get it fixed. But what I'm trying to tell you is the gutters of sin will creep up on you before you know it. It's not something really you're sitting around and, and thinking about and, and, and trying to keep a, an eye on it. You see, David was so wrapped up in his sins, he wasn't even alarmed when Nathan the prophet came in and started talking to him about it. Well, it was the furthest thing from his mind. He is so far steeped in sin at that point right there that he didn't even think that Nathan was in there about him. He's in there about somebody else. you know. And you would thought that the sight of God's prophet to this man would have made him tremble. Being in that kind of sin, he knew he was in that kind of sin. He knew he had that problem in his life. And when that man of God walked in, he should have said, Uh-oh, I've been caught. I've been found out. But he did not. In fact, most likely eight or nine months had passed since David committed these horrible sins until the prophet came by and told him, of course, about the, the parable, about the man with the, with the the little ewe lamb and uh, how the, the neighbor killed that little ewe lamb instead of the ones he had. David did not show any signs of guilt or remorse during that whole parable. Uh, He had sinned so much and so severely, he had grown indifferent to his sin. Now, I've seen some gutters on houses that people, you, you can tell they've not touched them in years. Those things are hanging off and and leaves are bunched up. they got trees growing up out of them and everything else. And because they've let that, they've neglected it. They kept letting it go and letting it go and letting it go. Finally, they don't even see it anymore. It's just part of the house. That's the way sin will do with you. If you keep letting it go, if you keep on neglecting, if you keep on uh, just living in sin and not seeking forgiveness for it, it'll start growing inside of you. It'll build up, and before you know it, you're immune to it. And so the next sin you commit really won't be that big of a deal. And so when the gutter of your life gets clogged with sin, it happens before you know it and before you've had time to address it. And listen, you better take care of it because it will cause irreversible damage to you and to your life. How many people do you know today that's living in obvious sin and has been for years and it doesn't seem to faze them? Yeah, they've gotten used to their sin. Uh, there are some sins that go on in this this modern-day culture we live in that, that people are just saying it's normal now. It's not normal. They've allowed it to become normal because they've just said, well, you know, so-and-so did it, we'll do it, you know, whatever. Uh People that uh, decide they're not going to get married, we're just going to live together, see how that goes, you know. And uh, I'm telling you right now, friends, uh, what used to be a sin, is still a sin today. It don't matter how many people's doing it, and it don't matter how pretty of a name you put on it either. Cohabiting is the same thing as shacking up. I'll just tell you right now. And so uh, it's a sin. And before you know it, it's built up, friends. If you aren't careful, you'll wind up in that condition. If a man like King David can end up oblivious to his sin and not even uh, worried about it when the man of God comes in, then what do you think about us? I mean, if somebody like David it can happen to you, it'll happen to us. So consequences for living a life of sin, of gutters of sin in your life, first of all, it will cause you to doubt. It will cause you to doubt. When we're out of God's will so far and we get away from him, we start wondering if we're truly saved. Have you ever been in that, that boat before? I was in there before. Living in such a way and, and thinking about it and thinking maybe, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I didn't really get saved back then in 1972 down on Elm Street. Maybe that didn't really happen. So we start doubting God's Word. We start doubting our salvation. We start doubting all these things that we know to be the truth. We start doubting them. Why? Because we've allowed that gutter of sin in our life. It's built up. And, of course, that's Satan's main goal. Because he, he can't do anything else to us as a Christian except for try to destroy our, our walk with, with the Lord. He can't take our souls, so he tries to destroy everything else. Your reputation, your, your testimony, uh, your walk, your family, whatever it is, he tries to destroy it. And so listen, if you give Satan an inch, he will take a mile. If you open the door this much for Satan, he will kick your door open and come in and sit down on your couch and watch your TV. Look. We all remember the Bible story how Peter once walked on the water. Remember that? He gets out there and and he steps over the boat and starts walking because he's looking at Jesus that's across the way. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, boy, he's confident. He's walking on that water. He's right on top of it. But the next thing you know, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts looking down, starts looking at his circumstances, his surroundings, and what's below him, and he starts panicking because he's done forgot that Jesus is there. He's thinking about himself. And so what does he do? He starts sinking. Starts sinking. He's going to die. He's going to die, you know. And Jesus saved him, of course, and he said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The gutters of sin in your life will cause you to doubt. And that's what happens to a Christian who gets his eyes off of the Lord, who, who gets out of God's will, who starts living in sin. The next thing you know, he begins to doubt. And the next thing you know, he's got himself in a bad way. The second consequence of, of living a life of sin is you lose your joy. You lose your joy. Now, listen, I, I know that a lot of people think that the sin they're committing makes them happy. They think it's the greatest thing in, in life. But it's not. It is not. They, they, they've they been blinded to it. You will lose your joy. For a Christian, being out of God's will, you cannot have any real joy as long as you're out of God's will. Oh, you may have times of happiness or, or something may make you happy at, at at times. But down down inside of your heart, down inside of your soul, you will not have joy, not true joy, as long as you're out of God's will. You may remember King David and how the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. David once was full of joy for the Lord. And and so much so he would even write the 23rd Psalm about the Lord is my shepherd. But once David commits this horrible sin with Bathsheba, and he broke at least, what, four commandments, uh, God's commandments there and all that, he lost his joy. He lost it. His life was filled with misery and heartache. He writes about it in the 32nd Psalm. Listen to this, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. We see that David was miserable. All the way down into his bones he was miserable because he was living outside of God's will, because he had unrepentant sin in his life. Now, as we all know, as we've said, God sent Nathan the prophet to speak to King David. Finally, David confessed his sins before God. And he cried out in Psalm fifty-one, twelve: Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You see that? He had lost his joy. He wanted to be restored. And my friends, when when sin gets in your life, you allow the gutters of sin to build up and neglect it and, and keep on going and living that way, your joy will be diminished. You won't have that joy and you'll need it restored. The third consequence of living a life of sin, your soul will starve. Your soul will starve. I had a doctor's appointment last week. I'd gained some weight since the last time I'd been there. Now, the last time I went, he was happy because I'd lost a bunch of weight. This time, I went back and I'd gained about 16 pounds. He was not happy. He yelled at me and and called me names and everything else. But, uh, He said he wanted to see me again in four months, and I've got to lose 10 pounds at least by then. Well, I've been trying to do a little better. Yesterday, after going a little time without food, my stomach started growling. That's a rare thing for me. Uh, My stomach normally don't growl. My wife keeps me fat and sassy all the time. Uh, But listen, if you cut out all food, you eventually will starve to death and die if you cut your food out. Just like a flower without water, what happens? It withers away. My wife, she's a, she's got a green thumb. She's got plants all over the house. She loves them. She keeps them watered and took care of, and they're beautiful. They sit on the, the end tables, and they're green and lush, and they flow down. and I was just commenting about it last night. I said, boy, this, this plant is so beautiful, and she takes care of them. But if she denies water to those plants, the next thing you know, they start wilting. They start falling away. They'll start turning brown. Leaves will start to, to come off of them because they've been neglected. Listen, your soul will wither away and shrink without being fed. We need spiritual food to survive. We need God in our lives to maintain our soul so that we grow in the Lord and we can be used by him and for him and for our fellow man. The Lord needs our help. I know he can do all things without us, but listen, he expects us to do his work, his bidding, his will. And we can't do that as long as our soul is starving. You know, some people say, well, I can get as much religion just staying at home and and, uh, watching on TV or on the Internet or, or something like that than going to church. Listen, friends, you stay away from God's people long enough, and before you know it, you're a stranger and your soul starts starving, you, you start staying out of church, stop listening to preaching, stop listening to these gospel songs, the next thing you know, your soul is starving to death. Listen, it is the Lord's will that our souls prosper, not starve to prosper. Over in uh, John, or 3 John chapter 2, the Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. The Lord wants our soul to prosper, not to wither. Again, the psalmist David, he says this in Psalm 143 and 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. David said, I lift up my soul unto thee. As long as your life is filled with sin, you're not lifting your soul up to the Lord. Your soul is withering away. I can see it right now, shrinking like a, like a raisin. It's, it's shriveling all up. The fourth consequence, when you live in a life of sin, your gutters are filled with sin, you're cheating on Jesus. You ever think about that? Can you imagine cheating on Jesus? Look, J- Jesus gave us everything. He laid down his life for us. In fact, if you've been saved, you belong to him. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. You belong to him. He deserves and expects our very best. Being out of his will is not giving him our very best. In fact, according to the Bible, it is spiritual adultery. We are cheating on the Lord. We find that in in a lesson from Israel, God's people. Jeremiah 3 and 6 says, the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? You can put your name in place of Israel right there. You know, if I was backsliding, you know, I'd look at it and say, have you, have you seen that which backsliding Byron's done? The Lord knows when we're backsliding from him. She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree and there hath played the harlot. And I said, after she has done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. God talking about his own people, how they had... Fled from him. They, they turned their backs on God. They committed spiritual adultery right here. He even called it that. They played a harlot. They cheated on God by bowing down to false gods, false idols, neglecting the Lord. Listen, friends, being out of God's will, living a life of sin is cheating on Jesus. And Listen, a Christian out of God's will is one of the worst testimonies you'll ever find. A lost sinner will look at, at a Christian that's out of God's will. Why in the world, why on earth would they want to have anything to do with Christianity? When they see a, a so-called Christian, somebody professed to be a Christian, living outside of God's will, living like the world, living like dogs, why in the world would the lost world want to have anything to do with it? And I'm afraid today... Christianity—you can't hardly tell a Christian from from the world these days. I mean, what if we lined up, everybody lined up, and we went through and just asked somebody if you can pick out the Christian or you can pick out the sinner of the of the, of the world? I'm I'm afraid most sinners or Christians today, you couldn't tell the difference. As well, look—we've looked at all these causes for being out of God's will and the consequences for being out of His will. Now I want to give you some cures how we can overcome this problem. First of all, we got to get rid of everything that's hindering our walk with Jesus. Whatever it is in your life that's hindering your walk, you've got to get rid of it. Dump it. We, we need to make a conscious assessment of our life Even if you have to write down the things that you know that you ought to get out of, you ought to quit doing, you've got to stay away from this, write it down if you have to, make your list and make an assessment of the things that's occupying your time and keeping you away from the Lord and doing his will. Well, It could be numerous things. It could be television, movies, internet, Facebook, Twitter, books, sports, activities, video games, whatever it is. It may not be any of those things. It may be something else, occupying all your time. You don't have time for the Lord. Look, I don't even care if it's, if it's not even considered bad. If you're spending all your time on something, even if it's a good thing, and you're neglecting God, then you're out of his will. It's hindering your walk with him. And so when we let stuff get between us and the Lord, we lose sight of our first love. Jesus tells the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Truth is, we need to repent of our willful disobedience to the Lord of our life of sin and, and carnality. We need to repent of it. Uh, the Lord says that we've, we've left our first love when we're living out of his will. Secondly, to overcome this problem, we need to repent of our lack of commitment. So many people today have a lack of commitment. They're not committed to anything. I mean, you can't, you can't hold them up to do anything. You can't, you can't rely on a lot of people today to do a single thing. They can look you right in the face and say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. They won't do it. Yeah. lack of commitment it's just as wrong to do to not do what is right than it is to do something wrong if you're not doing what's right it's just as bad as doing something wrong and there were two men that went in the temple to pray y'all remember this one two men went down the temple temple to pray a publican and a pharisee we know the story the bible says in luke 18 11, the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. listen uh we're not one to be exalted; we're not one to be lifted up and and to be known and and all this friends uh we got to be just like this publican that the Pharisee hated. uh we can't even so much as look up because we realize we're nothing but a but a sinner in God's eyes, and we gotta fall down his feet and beg for mercy. We need to repent of our lack of commitment. There's some people that used to be committed to going to church, committed to bringing their families to church, committed to reading their Bible, committed to praying to the Lord. But today, they're not committed to anything. They're committed to their TV program. Oh, I can't, I can't believe the writer's strike is over so we can watch all of our shows again. They're going to come back on. You know, that's the thing they're, they're committed to. I want to see what's happening on NBC. Got to see what's happening on all the Chicago shows and the FBI's and, and uh, the, uh, the other ones there, the lawyer shows. I don't watch the lawyer shows, but uh, anyway, they're committed to all that. But when it comes to the things of God, oh, no, I'm not committed to that any longer. We've got other things. So we need to repent of that, repent of our lack of commitment. Thirdly, we need to come back to the service of Christ, to the service of Christ. If you go back and look at the Apostle Peter, from all signs, if, if, if you looked at his life on the outside and you looked at him with a, with a magnifying glass, you'd say his life was a complete and utter failure. If you looked at everything that he did, he had turned his back on the Lord. He cursed and denied even knowing who Jesus was after he walked with him for three years, side by side, his inner circle, his most closest confidant. And he said, I don't know who you're talking about. And he cursed. Look, his life was miserable. Um, Yet the Lord restored him. Later on, as we're going to probably be looking at uh, this Wednesday, uh, he gets to stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost after he got forgiveness. He stands up and preaches, and over 3,000 souls are saved as the Lord gives him the keys of the kingdom on earth as the, the New Testament church was ushered in. Uh, through peter's preaching of christ he had one of the greatest ministries for christ ever exist after that the lord needed peter to preach he needed peter to get back into his god's will so he could be used to draw men to him that's what god had in plans for and he planned this all along that was that was the plan for peter all along and peter what did he do he got out of god's will he allowed sin in his life, and he, he denied Christ. He cursed and, and uh, you know said, I don't, I don't even know who you're talking about. Listen, uh, you could be a stumbling block because you're out of God's will, because you're out of his service. I thought you used to go to church. I, you know, y'all used to go to that church. Where was it? Northside Baptist Church. Is that where you went? Do you not go there anymore? Can you imagine that? I notice your car I don't ever pull out of the driveway anymore on Sundays. Did y'all quit going to church? You're going somewhere else? You're going on a different day? What is it? I don't, I don't understand. Listen, you can be a stumbling block because you've gotten out of the service of Christ. People are watching us, whether it's right or wrong. People are watching Christians. And while they may not like us, they watch us. And they know everything that we do. And we could be the cause for somebody to not come to Christ, for somebody's life to falter, for somebody to deny, uh, wanting to know Jesus. Listen, the God that we serve is the God of second chances. He is. The Bible says if we ask forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He loves us, and listen, that is all that matters. He'll take us in and restore our joy He'll restore our ministry. He'll restore our commitment. He'll restore all those things, that joy that we've lost. He'll restore all those things. But we have to come to him. Just as God dealt with Israel in Jeremiah three fourteen and 15, the Bible says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. And I'll give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. You see, God wants the best for us. He wants to give us these things. He wants us to give us this joy that comes from serving Him. Going into Zion is a beautiful picture of God giving you all these splendors and glories. He said, I'll give you that. I'll give you pastors after mine own heart who will teach you and feed you and give you knowledge and understanding And this knowledge and understanding is understanding of him, of of God, not of the world's things. Look, you could be sitting here tonight or listening somehow online and be totally out of God's will. Perhaps you've allowed the gutters of sin to clog up. Maybe you've neglected them. Maybe you've just not realized it. Maybe you're living in such a way and doing things and, and it's crept up on you. Maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe your soul is starving. Maybe you've gotten completely out of God's will. I don't know. But no doubt that there'll be those that will walk out or will turn this off and still carry around a burden, still carry around the old ball and chain. I think about those carrying around such weight on them, burdened down with cares. Listen, we need to do what the Bible tells us to do. We need to repent of our lack of commitment, repent of our willful disobedience, repent of our sins. And turn to him, the Bible says, turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Look, we need to determine in our heart, tonight, we're going to get rid of everything that's standing in the way between us having that closeness with the Lord that we need to have. Anything that may be hindering our ministry, may be hindering our testimony, even with the world Whatever it is that's between you and God that's causing you to not be the faithful servant that he wants you to be, we need to get that set right. We need to make a turn. We need to repent of that and turn to God to help us because he's the only one who can do it. I'd like to ask you to stand tonight and we'll pray together. Brother Scott, you want to get a song? I don't know your heart. You may need to come down to the altar and pray tonight. If you do, the altar's open. Feel free to come down. If you want me to pray with you, you just come and ask me. I'll pray with you but uh, let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight. Lord, thank you for the message. Lord, I thank you for the, the lessons it's taught me, God, and just the the study of it, God, and, and realizing how quickly we can get out of your will, how quick we we can allow that sin to clog up the gutters of our life. And God, how we need to get rid of that. Lord, we need to clean them out. God, we need to, to dump the junk out of our lives. Lord, and turn to you, repent of all this, and And turn to you to help us, God. And we know you will. You love us. You care for us, God. You want the best for us. Lord, help us with that tonight. Help anyone here tonight that may be burdened down with some problem or care, God. May they get that taken care of, God. Would you help them? For it's in Jesus' name. And amen. If you need to come to the altar tonight, you come.